when we hold on to our old beliefs, we're, we're under the illusion that life can stay the same, which is impossible. That just doesn't happen. Right. And so there are times in our life where certain illusions are helpful, like when you're a kid and you believe in Santa and it's fun, right? That, right. that can be a useful illusion for a child. Sure. And then, you know, if they get too old and they still have that illusion, it can be kind of embarrassing if their friends realize they still believe in Santa. Right. So there comes a time where it's not useful anymore. And what if we looked at all of our illusions or our beliefs in life that way, that we say, hey, is this this valuable at this point in my life? Because you you really had the adult version of discovering Santa or the tooth fairy wasn't real right. in your experience. Yeah. And, it, and it's always, it seems to me that the really important stuff, when you arrive there, it always has a, it's been around a long time. It's got a real childlike feel to it when you get there. You want to transform yourself and improve your life. You long to help people. You wish to become healthier, happier, and more successful. This show is your opportunity to learn how to use hypnosis to make your life better. Each week, hypnotist Robbie Spear Miller interviews people who have already changed their lives in amazing ways with hypnosis. These models can help you discover your path to making the most of your life. If you want to learn how hypnosis can help you reach your goals, this show is for you. Hello, everybody. I'm Robbie Spearmiller, and I'm your host for the Hypnosis Show podcast. Today, we're going to be exploring the theme of how you can discover something you didn't know before and have it transform your life in amazing ways. Have you ever hit a wall and found out that what you believed to be true turned out to be false? Maybe you once really looked up to and admired somebody, and then you discovered that they're just an ordinary, messy human like the rest of us. Or you thought you were finally totally over your ex, and then you meet someone new that pushes the exact same buttons as your ex did, and you feel like you're stuck in the Groundhog Day movie. Or maybe you thought you were really great at doing something, and then someone or something shows you how little you actually know. Many of us get caught in disillusionment or helplessness in these types of situations. What if instead you could use these experiences to discover something new that transforms everything that happens next? Dr. Daniel Bureau is joining us today for a wonderfully concise podcast about how you can be open to changing your beliefs in a way that can make your life wildly better. Dr. Daniel Bureau is a psychologist, hypnotist, entrepreneur, and senior executive in the mental health world. Through his multi-decade quest seeking ways to heal himself and find better ways to help his patients, he realized everything he believed to be true was false. He had no choice but to take in new information. At first resistant, now he sees this as a fantastic discovery that has changed his life and enhanced his client results. He shares his experiences in his new book, A Bigger Picture, with the hope of inspiring others to seek out their own transformational experiences. It's great to have you on the podcast, Dan. Thanks for having me on, Robbie. Yeah, great to see you again. Wonderful to be here. Yeah. So first, I want to say that what I've, I've known you for a number of years, and the thing that I really have 
uh, observed and really admire is your amazing courage and care for people that has really driven you on this quest. And the whole theme we're exploring today about changing beliefs, that perseverance and care and compassion for people and um, passion for what you do is really what helped you bust through the challenges. And so I'm really excited to share that with people because I think a lot of people could use that kind of inspiration in their lives. Right. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. You know, the thing that we, in listening to you talk, the, you know, one of the things that uh, a teacher of ours, you know, Scott McFall has told me, and I'm sure he's told you as well, is the only real learning we ever get is against our will. The mm-hmm. only real learning we ever get is against our will. And that's, to me, an amazing truth about the way we function, um, that we, we really have to be stuck in something and, and unable to, f- to think our way out or find our way out or, or any of the things that we usually do. They just don't work. And it's only then that we really actually learn something significant and meaningful. I mean, we can take in information and do things, you know, anytime. But to really learn something, it usually only comes against our will. And so one of the things that, that I've tried to do is, is to just be willing to, at any point in time, drop anything I believe to be true. You know, it, 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 whatever it is, whatever you're holding, whatever, you, whatever I think I know, whatever I feel is the truth or is the truth for me or whatever it is to really be able to live my life in a way where I can just put that down and walk away at any point in time. So why don't you start by sharing with people how you were forced to learn this against your will and what what that was like for you, like emotionally and just in your life, like tell us the story of what happened. Um, So much of what we do and who we are is unconscious to us. You know, we, we, we believe we have awareness of what we're doing. We believe we understand ourselves. We, we have a story, a narrative in our minds that explains us to us. And then we use it to explain us to the world. Um, and and we, we suspect that other people may not know what they're doing or why they're doing it. But we tend to believe regarding ourselves that, yeah, we've, we've got this. And really that idea that we don't really know what we're doing or why, and that largely we run a pattern of strategies, of skills, of responses, and it's the same pattern. We tend to run it, we run the same pattern in the same situations all the time. And so really a lot of the the, kind of the big things that I've noticed about myself have just been when I've actually been able to see that pattern in operation. So, you know, I, I, Going back to the beginning of, of, of my work really becoming a hypnotist was being able to kind of see this idea that you know, everybody's pattern is different. Um, you know, one of the things that, I'll, let me change it. One of the things that happened to me recently, and even after years of doing this, is, you know, I was, uh, I was very frustrated over some things that I couldn't do. And again, the only real learning we get is against our will very frustrated over some things that I couldn't get, couldn't understand, couldn't make work. Um, and then again, I, I was working with Scott and 
he simply continued to sort of confront me with my limitation and keep me in a place where I was feeling that level of frustration. And this went on for some time. One of the things that's interesting about changing is how long it takes for me, at least, that I have to stay sort of in this, I don't know, unhappiness, frustration, anger, whatever it is I'm feeling, how long I have to stay in it before I sort of pop out. And it's that idea that learnings are just sort of epiphanies that happen, but you have to stay inside whatever experience you're having and not allow yourself to rationalize or deny or, or delete or distort and stay in that until that bell curve of experience kind of gets to a point where you're, where you move far enough through it that then all of a sudden you can have an epiphany. You can, you'll understand something that you don't understand before. And for me, you know, it was an interesting thing because there's still a part of me that doesn't always want to take responsibility for what I'm doing. I, I, I like to, my, the metaphor I use is I like to be in the front seat of the car, but I don't necessarily like to drive all the time, Just if that makes sense. I like to talk about where I'm going and, and maybe run the radio and stuff like that, you know, uh, be in charge of the air conditioner and the different things in the car and look and talk, but I don't necessarily want to drive. And even recently, you know, I, I, I was kind of held inside something I was struggling with. And then it, that's the epiphany that came out of it, which is the way I think most learning happens to us is it just appears out of nowhere. As long as you stay inside the experience and don't get out, you know, and then I, and I arrived at this place where, you know, really, I'm just, I'm just trying to avoid responsibility for some of the things I need to do. And for me at this place in my, you know, 50 some years old, and I've been at this a while and to arrive at a place where. You know, I'm still trying to avoid responsibility to some extent for some of the things I need to do. And that was an, a, an amazing epiphany to me. I mean, it, it may not sound like that to other people, but for me, it was a life-changing um, moment that in, I, because I, as much experience as I have, as, you know, as long as I've been in this record, I couldn't see it, didn't know it was there, didn't realize what was happening. And then to have that epiphany and sort of arrive there, we're like, oh, that's what I'm doing. That's what I've got going on. And then in that moment, it becomes, at least for me, much easier to, to change that. You know, you, to, you can work with it in different ways and, and, and change it and, and, and meet the world in a more useful way. And that was just, that was just a couple of months ago. <laughs> and I, bet it's I find more sort of amazing than the stuff that happened to me years ago when I really, you know, wasn't as far down this path as I was now. And we know it's going to happen again. It's like the temper tantrums we have when we don't want to accept things. So, you know, it's kind of a moment like I when I'm thinking back to my early days learning to be a hypnotist, when my beliefs as well were being challenged, some of the things that really forced me to admit that I needed to change my beliefs or change the illusions I had, even to see that I had illusions in the first place, was that right. I was here, I was learning from Scott McFall, who's seen tens of thousands of clients, and it's been doing this for decades. And as a little tiny baby newbie hypnotist, 
for some reason, I thought I knew better than him. And it wasn't on purpose. It's not that I was being prideful, but I was really choosing to stay in my comfort zone. And I was choosing to interpret or pick and choose what to do based on what what my old beliefs were. I was trying to fit this new way of doing things in, in an old framework. And so what, what really forced me to change, right, when you say we, we, we only change because we have to, we're forced to, is that I saw that my clients were getting the results that I wanted right. them to get. And I, I couldn't deny that there was a problem. And so mm-hmm. I said, hey, maybe I should do it the way Scott's teaching me. And I did. And I noticed, wow, this is working so much better. And so so that, that but I, I had to because to me, ethically, I wanted to do my best for my clients. So that real life situation is what made me realize the value of this flexibility. But the way I grew up, the way it was, was just the way it was. It wasn't considered that there, there are different beliefs or there wasn't an acknowledgement that we actually all have illusions. Like there there Mm -hmm. is only illusion and there are only beliefs, but it's interesting how some of us believe that things are the truth or we know the answer. Yeah. Once we have that sort of way we meet the world established, we tend to vary from that hardly at all. We do the same things, same thoughts, same feelings. You know, we, we're very patterned in how we in how we live our lives. We do the same thing over and over and over again. And you know, and what we're you know that idea that you know believing that everything you hold on to could be incorrect is useful. But the other thing I would say, way out in front of of learning, that is incredibly useful to have that you just said is that it's that. In the helping professions, whether you're a hypnotist or a counselor or whatever, it's supposed to be about the other person. It's supposed to be about your, your client and their outcomes. And you'll find that learning is a lot harder when you're focused on you. It's a, it seems to be, imagine that, easier to do if you're actually focused. Like you said, it's kind of an ethical thing. If you're focused on the other person and, and what you need to do for them, you know, I'm going to hold myself out as a helper or a hypnotist or a counselor or so whatever it is um, to really remember that that's why we're there. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. It's about them and their outcomes. That seems to make learning a lot easier to do too. Um, you know, at the very beginning, when I kind of started on the, the path I'm on now, um, and, and I was working with Scott, um, you know one of the issues that I, I had to work on a, a great deal is I had kind of a stage fright, kind of a low grade stage fright, performance anxiety, as I think what Scott called it, better word for it. And what happens is, is, you know, and, and, I, and it kind of ties in with that responsibility thing. When I was trying to change somebody, it wasn't about them. It was about me. You know, I, I wondered if I could do it. I, I worried if I could make it happen. I wondered if I could get them where they needed to go. I felt nervous or restless about my ability, and and I was lost in that. I wasn't focused on that, which is what I, you know, I was supposed to put all that down and let it go, and 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 be there for them. And so, Scott, in in the way he does things, honed in on that pretty quickly, and you know, to the story of that is is a long story with an incredibly brief ending. So I'm sure for months, you know, he kind of worked with me and we did, you know, hypnotic work. We did NLP work techniques uh, of of different shapes and sizes to try to 
to um, blow that up, that thing I did. And I struggled with it a lot. And, you know, and, and Scott being a teacher sort of kept me in that, not in an overwhelming way, but kept me inside that experience of struggle of, of, uh, you know, where I, I, he kept me focused on the other person. He kept me, you know, focused on the problem enough. So I was experiencing it and, and wanted out <laughs> badly. But when it came to, I finally went to see him in Florida and was working with him. And we, when we really kind of focused in on this, it was hours of him holding me literally in one spot, in one chair, in the entry of a Hampton Inn where I was staying. And he, we sat down and, and I actually tell this, this story in the bigger picture. And he just said, you know, we're not getting up until we're through this. And we really hit the bell curve hard, <laughs> as you can imagine. And I joke in the book, we were in those seats for so long that the cleaners cleaned around us. I literally sat in the chair and picked up my feet so that the people could vacuum underneath my feet where I was sitting because we weren't going anywhere until we were through. And that's not only is that a necessary part of the story, you know, once you're, you're really focused on something, you need to stay focused on it. But it's also, you know, on Scott's part, it's, you know, when I look back on it now, it's an incredible act of love and kindness to have stayed with me and gone through that whole thing um, as long as it took and as much I, I'm head pounding he must have done. I, I don't know. You know, I never see him do that, but I, I suspect he does, at least with me. Um, but we stayed in that and and I was um, denial, <laughs> anger, bargaining, sadness. And then I, you know, it's kind of the, as the stages of change, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like yeah. classic stages of change. And, um, I moved back and forth through there. I was denial for a while. And then I, I was anger and then I bargained and then I was back in denial. And I, and I moved in this bell curve. I moved back and forth and back and forth. And, and I was angry one moment and, and trying to kind of rationalize my way out the next. And we just went through this and he, stuck me in this and kept me there. And, and when I finally sort of, again, the epiphany comes and you sort of pop out of it. And at the bottom of it, it was real clear. It was, well, what about me? You know, who's going to take care of me? And that's what was at the, the bottom of that hole was this real clear one single statement. What about me? And when I arrived there, it was sort of like, you know, holy crap, you know, first of all, that's it. (laughs) That's what all this is about. And secondly, uh, yeah, that's what all this is about. So you You realized you didn't have a choice, but to be in the driver's seat before you were like, no, I want to be in the passenger seat. I want to be in the passenger seat. Well, for me, at least it's amazing what I can learn and then compartmentalize it rather than generalize it to my whole life, Mm -hmm. which is probably another podcast altogether. Yeah, because we can have these incredible epiphanies and moments of learning, but at least I managed to compartmentalize them to to some narrow aspect or limited area in my life, rather than generalizing what I just learned across the board to everything, you know. And I'm still still kind of working on that piece. 
uh, of just being able to do that as a rule with whatever I learned. But, but going into that curve, going through those stages, bouncing around, being held in one spot, and then finally kind of arriving at this epiphany. And, and that's what it was, was I, I remember it vividly. Well, you know, well, what about me? Who's going to take? And it was just that classic childlike sort of self-centeredness of, of wanting to get my needs met. Who's going to meet my needs? Who's going to take care of me? And that was such a huge issue because you can imagine the impact an epiphany like that can have on, on the fact that if you would have asked me an hour before that, if I was focused on the other person, I would have told you I was. And I, again, even when you think you know what you're doing, there's a good chance you may not be entirely clear on what you have going on and why. So you, it's, it, to me, it, it's, it's even the things that I think I know I have to sort of be ready to let go of because there very well could be something else there, a learning that could change all of that again, you know? And I, and I really try very much to, to live my life in a way where I can always have that opportunity available when it comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that Scott has often said to me is that I would be a really amazing lawyer. And he does, he does not mean that as a compliment, right? That actually would be a compliment, but he means it in that I'm very excellent at, as are you, Dan. We have this in common where we're both excellent at being able to defend what we used to believe. Mm-hmm. And, and through time and experience with this, one thing that I've learned is how I can much more easily now shift to choosing to be the lawyer for the side of the argument that's actually in my favor or in my interest. And mm-hmm. one example I have of this is like, for me, when I was a kid, I was a chubby kid. So my whole life, weight was, you know, it was something I had to be aware of. And I managed to be reasonably fit as an adult and had times where I was a little chubby or a little thinner, but it stayed in a reasonable place. And then as I got older, I started to notice that the things I normally did to stay fit weren't quite enough. And at the beginning, I was being a lawyer for just letting it happen. Oh, I'm getting older. This is what happens. I would look around at other women I knew my age or older and say, yeah, see, that person's experiencing it. And and then I realized, hey, I need to decide how I want to my fitness level and how I want to look and feel. And I hadn't even explored what was possible around that. And when I decided that I really wanted to stay fit and and slim and have lots of energy and and look great, all of a sudden I was willing to be the lawyer to defend that decision and to find a way to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And that's a magical thing. And so for people listening, you know, most of us don't have a Scott to hold us in the the lobby of the Hampton Inn for hours on end to make this change. But to realize that, you know, real life gives us this kind of feedback all the time. Nature gives us this kind of feedback all the time. And, And if we accept that everything is an illusion, then how can we choose the illusions that we embrace and that we defend that if we're to be a lawyer, to be a lawyer for success, a lawyer for how we want things to be, realistically, 
right? Like I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, a Vogue model or something. But realistically, I, I had certain criteria of how I wanted things to be. And I, I figured, well, I'm going to go find a way to make this happen. And it, it required some experimenting and some perseverance. That's true. But that, that lawyer defending that new belief that it was possible really helped. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I knew a lot about this too, because I'd helped a ton of other people lose weight. We, we help a lot of people with hypnosis, with weight loss. But one of the things about learning hypnosis is that that you start to appreciate that there, there is no truth. And I think for a lot of people, that's a scary thing. We want to believe there's a truth and there's, you know, ground beneath our feet that way. And this is about getting comfortable with the fact that everything's illusion and we're making it all up. And so the, the, the useful thing is to make it up in a direction that's going to help us with our outcomes and help us be successful. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, you know, it's it's a similar metaphor that, you know, that when I explain that to people, I talk about the fact that that a lot of us think we have a self. We think there's a, a person in here. And that, you know, we talked about that narrative a second ago that we use to kind of explain us to us. We have this story of our lives that we store in our head. But like you said, it's largely, it's a story that we made up, you know. Um, most of it, you know, is, is constructed in some way and some of it just isn't true very likely, but we hang on to it and believe that it is we hold and we carry it around. And that, that idea that at any point in time, we want to put that story down or some element of that story or a particular experience or a particular learning that we had, we can simply put it down and, and adopt a new one or build a new one. But we believe that once it's, it's, oh, that's who I am, or it's my personality, or it's, it's, you know, my, I, this is who I, whatever my story tells me I am. We don't believe we can put it down. We don't believe we can let it go. And to really understand that, that all of that is, as you said, is it's an illusion. It's something that we built because we were taking care of ourselves or dealing with stress or adapting to situations or, or trying to figure out how to cope with whatever's happening to us. And we made it, we built it so we can put it down anytime we want and replace it with whatever we want. And that's kind of the interesting thing. You use that word. We are, we're free if we wish to be. We are absolutely free to be whoever and whatever we are if we, if we really want it. And then you need someone to help you, which is why, you know, we go to hypnotists and, and change workers and things like that is to help us do that. Um, and I think there's something to be said because most of us need a teacher. It's is you know it's hard to read the label from inside the bottle type of thing, and that's why we seek those people out to to help us. But but you can become honest honestly. You're completely free. Whatever you want to let go of, you can let go of. Whatever you want to become, you can begin to move closer to that. Now you may not always you know you may not be able to come become exactly that, but if you're on your way to whatever your outcome is. Wherever you end up is going to be worth going, period. Mm-hmm. And so I think what one thing that I wanted to clarify for people is that um, where people get lost is that they're not actually clear on the outcome they want, or mm-hmm. they're worried that if they choose it, they're going to experience heartbreak and disappointment because they don't believe they can get it. So because of those things, they're, they're going to defend the old way. And when we're really, when we're really clear about our outcome and we know it matters to us 
and we have that clarity in ourselves, then we can keep referring back to that outcome to choose what illusions help us get there, what beliefs help us get there, and which ones do we have already that help us, and, and maybe we need some new ones. Right. And it's a trial and error process. You make a decision, you make some plans, you take action, and then you get feedback and you learn. And then you make your next decision, take action, get feedback, and you learn. And that that's the process that's actually worth having. That mm-hmm. trial and error movement toward your outcome. That that's the, that's where the learning comes from. That's where the amazing things happen. And real life is really your best teacher. If you're willing to observe, if you can see what's actually happening and, and be able to grab the bull by its horns and you know face it, then that's where we can have a lot more flexibility and relevancy to the outcome. And, and I think a lot of people are afraid to face that for, you know, they're, they're, in, they're in a routine that, that defends against that. Yeah, that pattern we run has incredible uh, gravity. You know, we don't want, we're afraid to let it go. And there's a part of us that, that we're, we're fearful of letting it go. And we're fearful that we may not be able to get the other thing we want. And so between the two, we're stuck very often. I can't let it go. And I don't know if I can have this. So I'll just stay here and feel bad, you know, and that's the classic compulsion. That's the, the top dog underdog thinking that, you know, that, that we become stuck in, you know, I want this over here. I want this over here. Well, don't do it. You can't make it. It's going to be, you know, and we get stuck in there and paralyzed. And so a lot of the stories we're talking about, these moments of epiphany that happen are really where one side of that argument just quits talking. It runs out of gas and all of a sudden you can see right through it. You're like, oh, well, that was an illusion. (laughs) And when it vanishes for that moment, anything is possible. Anything then all of a sudden you're free to create yourself, to become whatever it is you want to become. Mm -hmm. So the faster that we can be willing to set outcomes for ourselves, and of course they need to be realistic. We don't want pie in the sky things because that's not going to help us. But if we can set realistic real life outcomes and make that like our guiding light, right? Our North star. And we're willing to very boldly be real with ourselves about, you know, is what I'm doing actually working? Like when I was going through my quest to find a different way of eating and fitness and sleeping and, you know, managing my life to be slimmer and to have my body, you know, with hormone changes and things like that, cooperate with that. I was really doing an experiment on myself and saying, okay, what happens if I do this? And what happens if I do that? And that willingness to, to, see what's actually happening and admit it and and be willing to change so that I didn't have to stay too attached to any one thing because I was still referring to the outcome. So let's say I tried to do a certain kind of fitness and um, like when I, I, I've always worked out my whole life, but sometimes earlier on when I was younger, I got away with doing a relaxing swim a couple of times a week and maybe a yoga class. And now in my life, there's no way I could get away with that. I need more intense fitness. And so I, I had to realize that I could do more in terms of fitness than I ever thought possible and that I could enjoy it and see the kinds of results I was getting. And the only way I could find the combination that worked well was through this experimenting and and being willing to be real. 
you know, in that back to that part of what keeps us, you know, we're afraid of letting go of what we have and we're afraid we can't get what we want. And the, the, the idea is, is when you go into this, make a decision and start to take action, we have to, speaking of sort of changing our perceptions, we, we have to become okay with failure and to understand that that's part of the learning process, that it's okay to fail. It's all right to not know. It's all right to fall down, pick yourself up. That's the only time we learn. The, you know, remember the only, the only actual learning we ever get is against our will, which really, if you extrapolate that, that means that our mistakes are really the only thing that we learn from. Who learns anything from what they did right? You learn very little because what you do right generally only confirms that whatever you got going on is working fantastic. So it's only in our mistakes that we actually have an opportunity to learn and change and become something different. And we spend so much time avoiding mistakes or minimizing them. And I, and I get it. Risk management is an important aspect of life, depending on what you're dealing with. But to really embrace that idea that, that it's okay to make mistakes and that when we take an action and we make a mistake, we should be able to feel okay about that, feel positive, to see it as an opportunity. To be able to see feedback from reality, like you said, like check in with reality, to see that feedback and feel that feedback as a positive thing, as a like, wow, okay, great, I just took in something new. So now I can make, I, I can steer this in a useful way. But rather than kind of feeling that way about it, we tend to try to avoid it or minimize, um, we avoid of encountering it and we minimize it when it does happen. And as a result, we cheat ourselves of exactly what we need to have. And we make it so much, there's so much more suffering in the process that way. I remember once years ago, I had this really great teacher. And one of the things she did was she asked the class, we were adult learners, and she asked the class for some feedback about uh, how the class was going and, and how well we were able to learn what she was teaching. And some of the feedback was great, and some of it wasn't so great. And I remember at the end, she said, wow, thank you. I, you just gave me like a million dollars worth of feedback. I really appreciate it. And at the time, I wasn't used to being okay with that kind of feedback. So I remember thinking like, wow, that's amazing that she looks at it that way mm -hmm. but that's a really useful belief where she she and I really get that now I know for me anytime I've had challenges or needed feedback or something didn't go well often that's where I learn the most mm -hmm. and it's yeah. it's really having this sense of humor about yourself and and knowing that that's true because otherwise you become a lawyer for how it used to be and it looks mm -hmm. really smart to be a lawyer it does. Yeah. Makes you feel good. Makes you feel safe and in control. But that's an incredible learning to have, to to see someone who can take feedback in a in a useful, constructive, and positive way. I mean, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough now to meet you know a line of people that can take feedback that way, and it's always the same. Especially when you don't take feedback necessarily, you're not really embracing it. It's not your first instinct. When you see someone who can do that, it's jarring. You're like, you know, it's like, really? You know, and you kind of watch it and see what's going to happen. But those are the people we should be paying close attention to. People who can take feedback usefully and in a positive way and doesn't alter their mood at all. They simply take it on, see what's useful in it, 
and let go of any of the other baggage they might have and immediately take that information in and, oh, I'm going to change this and this and this. I'm going to do this differently next time. And it never changes their mood. It, it never changes their mood. And, and you really want to pay close attention to those people because they have something. Yeah. And listen, realistically, sometimes it does change people's moods and they can still have this attitude about it. Right. So even if that happens, we usually most of us have moments where we 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 get upset with ourselves or we feel crappy about what happened. But it's really the the quick shifting to, hey, what can I learn from this? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the perspective and, and having a sense of humor about ourselves. Humor. And, and, you know, there's a reason why pride is one of the seven deadly sins. It looks like a good thing, but pride is what keeps us from taking mm-hmm. feedback or learning or being willing to uh, change our illusions to something more useful. And I, I know I've learned that one the hard way. You know, and everybody has experiences in their life where they found out they were wrong about something. And it was incredibly useful to them. They found out they were wrong about maybe some understanding they had about themselves or the world or other people. And, and the world, reality came one day and forced it on them. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, I, I was wrong about that. Mm-hmm. And that moment changes people's lives radically. At that point in time, they, they alter who they are. And everybody, I think, has a handful of these experiences inside them. And to really take a moment and think back, you know, when did you find out you were wrong and you were unable to kind of talk your way out of it? Yeah. Because that moment, to go back to that moment and, and um, see it in your head, take in that experience and figure out what it was like. And where, when you, when you moved through that whole bell curve, where you came to at the end, the, the mood you were in, the place you, you rested there, when you came to acceptance, you know, when you went through denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and anger, when you came there to just hang out in that place and, you know, to even anchor that as a mood and then bring it with you when you're in another situation where you have to learn and to, to be able to have that anchor and, and take that, that mood where you, took in this new thing, admitted you were wrong, took it in and, and came out of the experience. Okay. Take it someplace else with you. And, you know, I, when I think back to early on in my career, one of the big beliefs that I needed to change was I used to believe that I needed to prove to everybody that I was smart and competent and good at what I did and professional. And so that would really be my focus with clients, not realizing that all they care about is getting their results. They don't care about me at all. And if you had asked me at the time, I would say, of course, I care about them and getting their results. But this Mm -hmm. this subconscious belief was operating in the background because it was really how I was it was the values and beliefs that I, I, I was eating and sleeping and breathing for most of my life. And so the, it, it really took some, uh, a lot of real life experiences where I saw the results of that to realize, hey, this is not a useful belief or a useful illusion to have in my life. And then everything went so much better because you know, the, the saying from Theodore Roosevelt, uh, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I was trying to show them how much I know, right? And, I did, and the truth is I did care. I for sure, I would not be doing this as a, as a profession if I didn't care. But the thing that was at the forefront for me, and it was really from fear, I couldn't care until I felt uh, safe in myself. 
And so the fearful part of me was wanting to prove I was smart first, and then I could care about them. And I realized that I needed to shift that so that I could just simply care about them and that me being smart was totally irrelevant to the whole thing. I agree. I've I've had the same kind of type of experience and had to have it for the same reasons, you know, and I, and I've taken it in, in, in different pieces over time. And a lot, and, and when I look back at that, a lot of that is because I tend to compartmentalize learning when I get it rather than generalizing it to the, the big picture, which is ironic considering I wrote something called the big picture, but to really be able to kind of apply it to my whole life. You know, that what about me is just one example of, of that learning that actually what I was, what I'm in this for is to deal with my own stuff. And then even though if you would have asked me, I would have said I was here for other people, but to take that in and and have that incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you see that when fear is running, even if you don't realize it's running, it it can really get in the way. And so almost being willing to look at that soft underbelly of what are we really afraid of and could that be okay? Could we have the courage to be, show up in life the way that's useful anyway, even with that fear is really important. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is an act of courage. It really is. You know, you, you've got to, you've, in order to learn something, you have to want it. You know, if you're lucky, the learning kind of will fall out of the sky and land on you at times. That does happen. But, you know, the first step to learning anything is to really to want it. You know, you have to be in a place where you decide for yourself what your outcome is. This is who I want to be or what I want to be or or how I want to be in the world. And that and to be able to see that in your head and to make the decision that that that's what I want. That's where I'm going. And then begin to take those steps. And what you'll find is if you have that outcome in mind, like you were saying earlier, how important that is, if you have that the learning's good. You're going to get to the learning a lot easier and a lot quicker. At least that's been my experience, you know? And again, a lot of that has to do with seeking out a teacher and there's other pieces to that, but it's important. And the idea of modeling where one of the things that we do when we're helping people with hypnosis is we help them find models of other people who are already successful at what they want to be good at. So if somebody wants to lose weight, they want to find somebody who's already done it. And which is really what I did when I made this decision in my own life. I was looking to, hey, what attitudes and beliefs and behaviors do I need to have? And who has those already? And how can I choose those for myself? And they really were honestly different. And you know, I was one of those people who, and I've seen lots and lots of clients like this who mostly in a way got away with mostly eating what I wanted and exercising as much as I was willing to for many years in my life. And when things start to catch up with you, sometimes people get really angry about that or resentful, or they think it's not fair. And so, which is not useful, right? So that would be the illusion or the belief that's unuseful. And so when, when we're faced with something like that, I think some good clues for people to look for is, are you feeling resentful? Are you feeling like it's not fair? And what if instead you said, hey, who out there is handling this type of situation beautifully? And how can I adopt their attitudes and values and beliefs and behaviors and be nice to myself while I do? The nice to yourself is, really matters, right? The, and the- to really see those people, to see that. And I mean, so much of that 
modeling process you're talking about is visual. To be able to see them in your mind doing what they do and to really watch and, and take that in. And then to use that as a model to see yourself doing those things, taking those behaviors, those attitudes, those values into your life, home, family, friends, work, and to really see yourself doing that. See yourself dealing with challenges that come up using those same attitudes and values and beliefs of the people that you're modeling and to really practice that into your head and to see it happening. And because what we see in our minds is what becomes real for us. You know, I mean, everybody kind of knows that from a common sense perspective. If something stews around in your head long enough, you keep watching it as a movie playing in your head, you're going to take yourself there. Whatever good or bad, whatever it is, you're going to take yourself. So the same logic applies. But that, that modeling, to see that model, see them doing what they're doing, notice, watch them, attitudes, values, beliefs, behaviors, then see yourself doing the same thing in the way you want to do it, in the places you want to be. See yourself all the way to whatever your outcome is. I want to be a fill-in-the-blank or become a fill-in-the-blank or whatever it is. And to see yourself taking those attitudes, values, beliefs, and behaviors all the way there, you know, it, over time to watch it play out and really have that experience in your head so that it it has an opportunity to change you. So you have an opportunity to learn in the process. That's the key. Yeah. And an assumption we're making in all this is we are actually embracing the fact that, that life changes all the time. And when we hold on to our old beliefs, we're, we're under the illusion that life can stay the same, which is impossible. That just doesn't right. happen. And so there are times in our life where certain illusions are helpful. Like when you're a kid and you believe in Santa and it's fun, right? That mm -hmm. that can be a useful illusion for a child. Sure. And then, you know, if they get too old and they still have that illusion, it can be kind of embarrassing if their friends realize they still believe in Santa. Right. So there comes a time where it's not useful anymore. And what if we looked at all of our illusions or our beliefs in life that way, that we say, hey, is this this valuable at this point in my life still? Because you, you really had the adult version of discovering Santa or the tooth fairy wasn't real. Right. In your experience. Yeah. And, it, and it's always it seems to me that the really important stuff always when you arrive there, it always has a. It's been around a long time. It's got a real childlike feel to it when you get there. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what about me? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was so further back in my life when that showed up, you know, and it's just been with me in that form ever since. So it is kind of like Santa Claus, you know, in a real sort of a childlike sense, which mm -hmm. is fascinating to me as well. Yeah. And so, so if we start with one high level belief that's useful, it's that we, we want to stand back from life and, and see the big picture and embrace that our illusions do need to change. I agree. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. Great. So Dan, tell people, how can they get your book? I know your book is coming out anytime now. So, so how can they get a bigger picture? You know, it, so my website is Sioux Falls Hypnosis. That's S-I-O-U-X Falls Hypnosis.com. You can certainly go to my website. And as soon as the, the book is available, um, it'll be available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And I'll, I'll have a link to it at that point in time. 
And I'm sure that when I do have a link, I'll make it available to folks like you and, and the other Master Hypnotist Society trainers and teachers, and, and they'll be able to post it on their website if they'd wish to. Um, but the best way to initially find it is just to go to my website and seek it out that way. Great. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Dan. I think people learned a lot from your experience, and I'm sure many of them will want to learn more from your book or get in touch with you. And I know you do hypnosis training and you help clients as well. Um, so, you know, everybody get in touch with Dan and, and discover what else is possible for you. Love to meet anybody who wants to stop by the website. You can reach me by phone. My phone number's there. Right. All right. Well, thanks, Dan. Being stressed out has become a way of life for many. Often, people attribute stress to life circumstances or the way they are wired, but it doesn't have to be this way. Join us for next week's podcast and learn how you can let go of unnecessary stress and become calmer and more relaxed in your daily life. To find out more about how hypnosis training can help you, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com for more info and to schedule your free consultation. Remember to click the button to subscribe, share the podcast with a friend, and please leave us a review so you can help others benefit from the podcast too. Until next week. You've been listening to The Hypnosis Show with Robbie Spear Miller. Tune in next time to learn more about how you can change your life with hypnosis. And if you are interested in learning more about training opportunities, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com and schedule a free consultation.